Thanks for joining us here at Temple Baptist Church in Centralia, Illinois, where we are a community of people who are not perfect and don't pretend to be. If you would like to see other resources or learn more about our ministry, check out www.tbccentralia.com. Our hope and prayer is that through the following message, you are encouraged, blessed, and inspired to meet the Lord in a powerful way. Uh, shoes that are 12 inches tall he's got spiked hair he's painted all in silver or there was another one I remember that had a cow suit on and he was milking himself everywhere he went um, and you could imagine there's like 20 of them and and they had this big sign photo with a freak and if you'd go and take a selfie or have somebody take a picture of you with them you know they worked off of donations all right, so you, now do you know what I mean by talking about have you met somebody who's different? Um, you know, here at uh, Temple Baptist Church, we've been doing some things differently. Have you noticed that? Amen. Yeah, you know, and, and sometimes it's almost like when we're walking, like when Carrie and I were walking over in San Francisco on that pier that it looks a little weird. But um, you know what? Uh, not only is it, it's not weird, it's okay, we're going to get through it, and a year from now it's going to be normal. And if we were to go back, you'd be like, man, that's weird, I don't want to do that. All right, uh, how about this, um, Emma saying about an encounter that happened at the river. And there was a guy at the river that I'm going to talk today that had an, an encounter with Jesus, and his name was John the Baptist. And let me just tell you something, John the Baptist was different. He's a little different. Um, he did things differently. The way that he came on the scene was different. And so if you would, open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3. And I'm going to read about, uh, in verses 1 through 6, how that John the Baptist was just a little bit different. And before I do this, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much. Thank you for a great week of weather, Lord. We thank you for the rain we've got this morning. And Lord, I just pray that uh, you would... Continue to bless the hearts and minds that are here. Bless those that were unable to make it, those that are, have physical ailments. Lord, those that have spiritual, mental. Lord, just allow your spirit to fall fresh today. We ask this all in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. And so in Matthew chapter 3, in verse 1, it says, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And this is what he preached. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And what you probably don't realize about John the Baptist is, is that, John the, that there had been a 400-year gap since the last prophet had prophesied to the nation of Israel. And so for 400 years, scholars call this the silent years. For 400 years, no prophets on the scene. For 400 years, nothing is happening. Could you imagine what life would be like if a church like this for 400 years had no preacher, had no teacher? You think things would change? You better believe they would. Do you think things changed in Israel in 400 years when a prophet of God wasn't there challenging them, correcting them, reproving them? You better believe it changed. And it probably wasn't a positive change. And so here comes John the Baptist had a call on his life from his mother's womb. 
And he had a call on his life to do one thing, and that was to proclaim the Messiah. And so before the Messiah comes on, he's preparing the way. There's a verse in Isaiah that talked exactly about what John the Baptist would do. And here he is preparing the way. Here he is turning the hearts of the fathers back to the sons and the sons back to the fathers. And here's what he preached. He preached repentance for sin. 400 years they hadn't heard that message. For 400 years, God had been silent. For 400 years, they had learned to do the things that made them comfortable. They had learned to uh, practice the, the religious um, practices that they enjoy doing. In verse 3, you'll see it says that, For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. When he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness... Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now, you know, here, John the Baptist, after 400 years, it's been silent. He comes and he is now preparing the way for Jesus Christ. They don't know this. John, at that time, doesn't know this. He's about six months into his ministry when this encounter occurs. And what's been happening is... For uh, many, many months, people have been gravitating to John the Baptist. And now in verse 4, we're going to find out that he was different. And it said this, Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. And his food was locusts and wild honey. Now, I I want you to think about something. John the Baptist's mom and Mary's mom knew each other. You recall the time where uh, Mary had visited her and um, that, the, that John the Baptist uh, leaped in her womb, you know, through the power of the Holy Spirit, knowing that Jesus, the Messiah, was so close to him. Now, I don't know if they encountered each other later on, but you remember last week how that 12-year-old baby Jesus, you know, not baby Jesus anymore, he uh, stays behind back in uh, Jerusalem during the week of the Passover, creates a lot of challenges for mom and dad. Well, uh, could you imagine if maybe when Jesus is 14 and John is 14 that, that Mary gets together with John's mom and, and probably asks, hey, how's John doing? What do you think John the Baptist's mom would probably have said? Probably said not very good. You know, uh, he's a little bit, he, he, he is all boy. He, you know, he's a little wild, climbs every tree, you know, doesn't want his hair cut, uh, doesn't like to eat anything except, you know, locusts and honey. I don't know what's wrong. I don't know what's going to happen with him. And then she probably turns around and says, well, Mary, how's Jesus doing? All right, now Mary knows that this is the Son of God. And, and, uh, you know, how do you think Mary probably responded? He's perfect. I don't know if you've ever encountered that when you're talking to some of your friends, but that, that's how I think that that conversation went. And so John the Baptist grows up, he's different. He grows up, he's weird. He grows up, and he's doing things like nobody's done it before. He grows up, and he's the prophet that hasn't been heard for 400 years. In verse 5, it says this, Then Jerusalem and all Judea, And all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. 
Now, I don't know if you ever heard this quote, but it said that um, if you'll just light yourself on fire, people will come from miles around just to watch you burn. If you'll, it, it, this is super true in Hollywood, in the media, they'll do crazy things just to get attention so that they can talk about the movie that they're in. Or so they can talk about, I mean, it's, it's crazy. They've, they've got a public, uh, somebody who goes out of their way to tell stories about them that are ludicrous, that are outlandish, that are crazy. But you see, John the Baptist, he didn't have anybody doing that. But the word of mouth got out, didn't it? They didn't have TV, they didn't have cell phones, they didn't have the internet. But people heard about John the Baptist. They go, I don't know if you met him yet, but there's this crazy guy out in the wilderness by the River Jordan... And then people started showing up by hundreds and thousands. This was John the Baptist's life. And so for six months, he's out there in this area, and he would preach, and he would preach repentance for sin, and then he would baptize people. In verse 6 it says, And they were baptized by him in the River Jordan. Now, I don't know if you know too much about uh, the River Jordan, but it's not a clean river. It's not a pretty river. It's not a long river. It's not a big river. But that's where John the Baptist's ministry was. And so let me share with you a couple things about John the Baptist and the fact that he was different. See, here's why he was different. Because his message was repentance. John the Baptist came and preached the message of repentance. A repentance from sin. And what he wanted to do and what was happening based on the prophet Isaiah, he was turning the hearts of the fathers back to their sons. And he was turning the hearts of the sons back to the fathers. Why? Because for 400 years they didn't have that voice. For 400 years they kind of strayed in their practice of the Jewish religion. For 400 years they didn't hear from God. And what's interesting is that John the Baptist gets his name because he was baptizing the Jewish people, which was the very opposite. The origin of baptism was this, that somebody who wanted, that was not born from a Jewish mother or a Jewish father, and they wanted to become a Jew, they would be baptized. This is where the word proselyte, that's what they were called, was a, a proselyte. And so if you ever heard this, uh, especially, man, you go to a, a preacher's breakfast, you know, they'll talk about you proselytizing people from their church, getting them to come over to your church. Or if, uh, if it's uh, interfaith, you'll, you'll hear uh, you know, them talking about you proselytizing from a different religion. Well, that's where that word came from because the um, Jews would take someone who was a Gentile, who was Greek or Roman or any other, and if they wanted to believe in what they were believing, and that was a Messiah was coming that they would baptize them as a representation for what was going on. And so that's what John's mission was. 400 years, no message from God, and he comes on, and instead of baptizing Gentiles like they were used to, who's he baptizing? He's baptizing the Jews. That's right. So not only was he different because he had this wild appearance, not only was it different because of how he dressed himself, not only was he different because he ate locust and honey, not only was he different because he's a little cray-cray. He was different because he was turning on top of its head everything that the Jewish religious leaders understood. And the second thing about John the Baptist was this, that his method was direct. You know, John the Baptist enjoyed confrontation. 
John the Baptist was not afraid to tell somebody you're a sinner. John the Baptist wasn't afraid to tell somebody that what you're doing is wrong. John the Baptist wasn't afraid to tell somebody that you need to stop what you're doing and start doing this. He's very confrontational. And not only was he confrontational, but we found out that he was on mission. And you know, and all of us should find out what is our mission from God and do it. In John the Baptist's case, it was twofold. One, he was to prepare the nation for the coming Christ. He had this calling on his life from his mother's womb. And the second thing was he was to present the Christ, the Messiah, to the nation. Now, the picture that you see is just John the Baptist and Jesus in the River Jordan. But what you don't see is that on the, the shore there are hundreds and thousands of people. And they're out there and they're listening to John's preaching. And they're watching many of their brothers and sisters and moms and dads get baptized. And confess their sins. And John, true to faith, he continues to confront. And in verse 7 it says this. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism... Now, you could imagine, Jerusalem's kind of uh, losing a lot of its people. Why? Because they're going out to hear John the Baptist. Then they come back and tell somebody, and then they tell ten people, and then those ten people go out to see John the Baptist. And the crowds are incredible because they're out in the wilderness. And so they decide, we're going to go check out what's going on with John the Baptist. And he said to them, this is John talking to the religious leaders of his day. And he, he starts off with, you brood of vipers. He called them snakes. Not just snakes, but snakes that kill. And he asked the question, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Because that's what John was preaching. John was preaching to the Jewish people that the wrath of God is coming. Repent of your sins. The Messiah is coming. Prepare. (coughs) Excuse me. And then he challenges the religious leaders with these words. He said, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. You know, many times, especially in this generation that we live in. While we preach repentance, many times we don't see that in our lives. While we want to practice repentance, we forget what that means. Because to a lot of us, we just think repentance means to say it out loud. I made a mistake. I did something wrong. I sinned. But that's not repentance. That's confession. And we need to confess. That's one of the four Uh, exercises as a Christian that we should practice every day. John's telling the religious leaders that you need to repent and that repentance should be demonstrated by some good works. There should be some fruit with this. And in our lives, uh, we've got to be careful about our religion because if we're not, we'll find out that we're missing those good works of fruit. In verse 9 it says, And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. 
For I tell you, God is able to raise these stones up as children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And in verse 11 he says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. Verse 12, his winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. This is the message that John the Baptist is preaching. This is the type of repentance that is talking about. But let me share with you a couple of lessons that John the Baptist was really sharing. And that was he was talking to them about the dangers of empty religion. You know, and this is what we have to be on guard for here at Temple Baptist Church, is that we don't ever let ourselves become religious. Matter of fact, you've probably seen bumper stickers that say, I'm not religious, I just have a relationship with Jesus. And that's really, when we boil it down, that's where every one of us should be. You know, it shouldn't be the size of our Bible, it shouldn't be the uh, whether we have a tie or a suit jacket or a suit on. It shouldn't be whether what we look like on the outward appearance. It shouldn't even be just the words that come out of our mouths. Because when that happens, we fall into the trap that John the Baptist was referring to, and that was the trap of hypocrisy. And those that have an um, empty religion are living a life of hypocrisy has anyone ever said this to you or have you ever heard it said out loud i don't want to go to church because the church is full of hypocrites you know i want to shout out to them well you know hell's going to be full of them too but for for some reason i don't think those are the right words i'm supposed to use at that moment if my name were john the baptist that's what i would say all right because it's ronnie Tabor, i can't do that Those that have an empty religion live a life of hypocrisy. And a life of hypocrisy just is this. We say one thing and we do another. You know, our mission here at Temple Baptist Church is very plain. We are going to love God and love people. See, we, if we say that we love God and yet we, our actions don't demonstrate that we love God, what are we? We're a hypocrite. If we say that we love God, and yet when God calls us to do something, tells us to speak to that person in line, tells us to, you fill in the blank, and we don't do it, what are we? We're a hypocrite. So I can't argue with the person in the restaurant that says, I don't go to church because it's full of hypocrites. It is. It's okay. There's a remedy for that. If we say that we love people, and yet we... All right, you've you've heard this. I love them, but I just don't like them right now. Come on. You know you said that about a relative. I love them, but I just don't like them right now. Oh, 
boy, you got to watch it. Because the God, Jesus laid out very clearly that there's only two things we need to do, and that's to love God and love people. And how do we love God? By loving people. And when we don't love people, what are we? We're hypocrites. It's very simple. And that's what John the Baptist was telling the religious leaders of his day. And he was warning. He called them snakes. You know, I'm using a nice word, hypocrite. He called them bad words. Not only did he tell them about a life of hypocrisy, but he also challenged their belief that they could fall back on their heritage. You know, those who were uh, born in a Jewish family had Father Abraham to fall back on. And they could always um, go back to that. And John's saying, that's not good enough. It's great that you have Father Abraham. It's great that you're in that lineage. But at the end of the day, if you don't accept what Father Abraham was put on, on earth to allow to happen, and that was the Messiah, it's nothing. And then he talks about how that the, the tree is being cut down at the root. And you know, one of the apostles in the, in the Bible verse said this, that it has to start at the church first. And I want to just tell you this, that, that we cannot rely on our heritage. We can, I mean, I've said this many times, that I'm Baptist born, Baptist bred, and when I die, I'll be Baptist dead. But you know, that's not going to get me into the heaven. I'm proud. I love my Baptist heritage. But my Baptist heritage isn't what saves me. And so we have to be careful that we don't let our reliance be in our heritage. Enjoy it, appreciate it, value it, but keep it in perspective. Because here's what happens. Empty religion lacks the Holy Spirit. If you don't experience the conviction of the Holy Spirit on your life, danger, danger, danger. If you are able to live a life that's absolutely opposite to what you know you should live as a Christian, danger, Will Robinson, because if the Holy Spirit isn't on your case, you're in danger. Because the reality is this, that if the Holy Spirit isn't part of your life, at the end of the day, you're not saved. That is not a good proposition, folks. Now, we could sit here and debate, what does it mean? To have the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I would tell you, every one of you know what I'm talking about. We'll throw up flags. Well, you know, I'm not going to speak in tongues. And I'm not going to, you know, get up and put my hands up. And I'm not going to. Look, you don't do what men tell you to do. You do what the Holy Spirit tells you to do. And if he's not telling you to do something, you better do something. Because one day, it'll be too late. Well, let's hear about Jesus being baptized. In verses 13, it said, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. And John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me. Now remember, John the Baptist is the the first prophet on the scene in, in 400 years. 
And then he's got these crowds, enormous crowds that are following him, are hearing his message. Now, now, now think about what's going on. They are coming out to see him. He's in the wilderness. He's not across the street. He's not on the other side of town. He's in the wilderness. There's no gas stations. There's no jiffy lubes. There's no quick marks. He's in the wilderness. And yet Jesus comes to him. And at first he says, Jesus, you know, you need to, I know who you are. You need to baptize me. And Jesus says to him, he says, we need to do this. Let me read verses, the next couple of verses to you. Verse 15. But Jesus answered, let it be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus is saying, look, John, I know, I know what you're saying. You're right. I should be baptizing you. He goes, but, but let us fulfill, let us work together, and let's fulfill what the Father has put us on earth here for. And I need you to baptize me. Verse 16, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending. Like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Oh. What do we learn from Jesus' baptism? It's very simple. And that is this that Jesus didn't let difficulty stop him. If you've never been baptized, I would challenge you, don't let 50 feet stop you. Don't let the fear that the enemy puts in your heart stop you. Don't let something stop you from taking the next step in our believer's walk, and that is to be baptized. Jesus traveled 60 miles to get baptized. It's pretty good. It's pretty intense. And remember this, that baptism is just a symbol. You know, uh, somebody that gets baptized in here, they come out wet. That's it. But what Jesus told us, he left us with two sacraments in the church. And number one was to take communion, to remember what he did on the cross. He says, often as you do this, remember. See, nothing happens to that bread, nothing happens to the drink. It's, it's in our heart. That we remember what Jesus did for us, with us, to us, and now the rest of our lives, what he'll do through us. But not only was it a symbol of what happens in our hearts, because really that's all baptism is. It's, it's telling our friends and our families. Wasn't that impressive to see Daryl here and have 20 of his relatives, 20 of his friends to witness to what was going on in his life? See, all it was was an outward expression of what happened in his heart. That's all baptism is. That's why we're proud to have the name Baptist on our door. We're proud to let everybody know that, you know what? One day I accepted Jesus into my heart. And you can't see that, but you can see this. On this date, I got submerged. And that's exactly what baptized means. It's from the word baptismo, which means immersion. 
And so that is why we practice the immersion down into the water. Because it represents that Jesus did. He was in the tomb for three days. Now we don't hold him under there for three days. We try not to hold him under there for three seconds. But some preachers are different. And when they come out, we say these words. That they may walk in newness of life. Let me share you something about Jesus' baptism. Jesus did not have to get baptized. He did not. Who was getting baptized by John the Baptist? Sinners. And what were they doing? They were confessing. They were repenting. Did Jesus have anything to confess or repent? He did not. But he needed to get baptized, I believe, for two reasons. Number one was one day he was going to take on my sin and your sin, and the sin of the entire world upon himself. And he would become sin. And so his baptism was an early picture that one day I will be a sinner for you. And not only was it a symbol that one day he would be a sinner, but it was also a symbol for each of us. If, if Jesus could do this, we should do this. We should, let, we should be proud that everybody knows that we've been baptized. We should be proud that everybody knows that we call ourselves a Baptist. Why? Because we are just showing people on the outside what happened on the inside. Look, there are just as many hypocrites in the Baptist churches as in any other churches. Trust me. Baptism doesn't make us special. Matter of fact, the other churches practice baptism too. But baptism is one of the two sacraments that we never, ever want to leave. We never, ever want to forget. And so my prayer is that, that the first Sunday of every month that we have somebody to baptize in our church. But before we can get there, we've got to realize a couple of things. Number one, we've got to realize what our problem is. And our problem is pointed out to us in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, and it says this, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What does the word all mean? Everybody. I've realized that our two-and-a-half-year-old grandson isn't perfect. Earlier this week, he's at the house, and Carrie's watching him, and then things got quiet. And when things get quiet, that's right, something. And so Carrie found him, and he had found the sugar dish. And it made a beautiful scene as he threw that onto the dark floor. We realized, well, Carrie thought he wasn't perfect. I still do. But the Bible tells us that we're not perfect. It says we've all sinned. And we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And the Bible is very clear that here's our punishment. It says this very clearly. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, see it doesn't matter that he threw the, the sugar out there. It doesn't matter what sins that you have committed in your life. It doesn't matter how many sins that you've committed in your life. Because there's one who's greater than any sin that you could possibly commit. There's one that has a bank account that can pay off every sin that if yours added up. 
and it doesn't come to you at a price. It's a gift. It's a gift of God. And what is it called? It's called eternal life. And the reality is this. It's very simple. That each of us were, when, when we were conceived in our mothers, our soul attached to that body. That's when life begins. I know that's not a popular concept right now, but that's when life begins. And then we are born one time, and then we grow, and then at some point in our lives, we start making decisions that we know are wrong. And we live out exactly what the Bible tells us, says that for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And if we do nothing about that, one day the heart will stop beating, and this body will die, and the soul will be separated from it. And the Bible is very clear that we will either have accepted the gift of God and enter into eternal life. And it says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Or we'll leave this world behind, we'll leave this body behind, and we'll enter into a life of everlasting damnation. That's the payment for our sin. That's why Jesus had to get baptized. Because he took our sins on him. And our punishment... The gift is eternal life, and the punishment is an eternal life in hell. You see, that's the provision that God gave us in Romans 5.8. He said that he proved his own love. Remember, if we say that we love God and we do something else, what are we? If we say that we love people and we don't love them, what are we? See, God said he loved us. And he proved his love that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, you can call God a lot of names, but can you call him a hypocrite? You cannot. See, he proves his love, and he does it over and over again. And you know what? God is a gracious God, and God is a merciful God, and God is a God of second chances and third chances If I read the New Testament right, I think God's a God of 490 chances. And I think that that was as a person what he was giving us advice for. And if we applied it to him, it goes bigger than that. And the question for all of us is this. Will you respond? Romans 10.9 says this. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved. That's what this encounter with John the Baptist at the River Jordan was all about. That's why we're in this five-week series of amazing encounters. Because John chapter 20, verse 31, says this very clearly. It says, but these are written so, and it gives us two things that they're written for. Number one, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Now, I've told you that there are a lot of different churches in Centralia, yes or no? There's a lot of different religions represented in Centralia, yes or no? But not every one of those religious churches believe that Jesus is the Christ. They don't believe that he is the Son of God. But here's why we believe that. Here's why John put this down. Here's why the Holy Spirit inspired him to write the Word of God and write these words. And that is this. That by believing, 
you may have life in his name. You see, we're going to live forever. Not in this body, but our soul will live forever. And if you've never experienced the second birth, if you've never experienced, we're asking Christ to take what he did and pay for your sins, you won't experience that second birth, but you'll live forever. And when you pass from this life to the next, you will begin to pay back that payment for our sins. I hope that we never ever get to that point. I hope that you don't find out when it's too late. And I hope that you'll hear the words of John the Baptist when he says, repent and confess your sins. What little embarrassment you may experience here on earth far is in pales what you're going to spend eternity like. Carrie, would you come up and begin playing? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear any Father, Lord, you've heard the hearts. God, I think you're hearing the moms and grandmothers, the fathers and uncles and aunts that are crying out in their soul for their sons and their daughters, for their brothers and their sisters. And God, we just rely that your Holy Spirit is working in their lives. We believe. God, I believe that you love them. You love their kids more than they could ever possibly love them. Matter of fact, you love them so much, you sent your son. And Lord, we lift those up. If you have someone here today that's heavy on your heart, that, that you believe is not a believer, and it's your heart's desire that they come to know Jesus as their Savior, would you raise your hand so I can pray with you on their behalf? Just keep them up while I'm praying. Lord, you see the, you see the hands and hearts. God, I just ask that you'd go into each of those lives, that your Holy Spirit would come in like a, a roaring lion and let them hear the word. Go ahead and put your hands down. If you would, go ahead and stand to your feet and just look up here for a second. Jesus traveled 60 miles to go get baptized. He did this so that you and I would have that witness. He didn't have to do it. And if you're here and you've been saved and you've never been baptized, I'll tell you, you don't have to do that. But it is one of those steps of obedience that we take. I would encourage you to because I don't believe we can live our full Christian life until we take that first step of obedience. And maybe you're here this morning and you don't have the Holy Spirit in your life. You don't have the Holy Spirit convicting you and telling you when you're doing something wrong. And it scares you. And I'm here to tell you, my friend, you should be scared. Because one day, it could be today you could be in your car driving down 51 and an accident happens. And your soul gets separated from this body. You are not promised that you'll live till you're 80 years old. None of us are. Don't 
let that day come and you have not confirmed that the Holy Spirit is a resident, that you've accepted what Jesus has done, that you call yourself Christian. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life, and we would love to continue with you on that journey. To find out what your next steps could be in your relationship with Christ, simply go to www.tbccentralia.com forward slash next. You see, here at TBCC, it's our mission to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ who walk by faith and not by sight.